Welcome to Sundial on WLRN during our winter membership drive. I'm Elisa Baena, a producer on the show, and today we're replaying some of our most memorable episodes of the year. This author uses language to connect Miami to Manila. We spoke to M. Evelina Galang back in August. Sundial host Carlos Frias will catch you up. If you close your eyes and let M. Evelina Galang tell you about the city of Manila, it starts to sound a lot like Miami. She draws a line in her writing from her Filipino ancestry to Latino Miami. Thick, humid air, fallen mangoes, unbearable sunshine. You have abuelas and lolas standing in line at the grocery store. Tios and titos toiling in family restaurants. Evelina's writing is filled with familiar images, especially if you're from South Florida. Grandmothers talking to long-dead husbands remind you of abuelitas at the botanicas on Calle Ocho. Evelina is the American-born daughter of Filipino immigrants. She grew up in the Midwest, but for more than 20 years, she's been writing under a South Florida sun as an author, a short story writer, and a teacher of creative writing at the University of Miami. Her latest collection of short stories is When the Hibiscus Falls. Her writing reflects a strong tie to her ancestors' culture and a life down here. Here she finds herself speaking Tagalog to her Spanish-speaking neighbors and being understood to talk to us about finding a common language in a different kind of tropical home is M. Evelina Galong. Evelina, welcome. Hey, thank you, Carlos. Thank you so much for having me. It's so lovely to be able to have uh, you here to talk about these connections because um, reading your writing, it feels so South Florida, which of course makes sense because you've been here for 20 years. Uh, which I think qualifies you as a local, right? Oh, yeah, I think so. I think so. <laughs> and yet there is this um, there's this thing about your background, both being born American, but also writing with such authority over your culture, your the mm-hmm. culture your parents grew up mm-hmm. in, uh, that I also find fascinating. Um, so I want to talk to you about all that. Um, this part that really stands out to me is you speaking Tagalog to your Spanish-speaking neighbors. Right. Like, tell me about that, about what that's been like, because I can hear it. Yeah, right? well, yes. So I think the first time I noticed it, so I came to South Florida in 2002, mm-hmm. and I was coming straight off of a plane from Manila. I was on a Fulbright and talking Tagalog pretty much for the last year. And so for me, I'm English speaking first. Mm-hmm. And so there was this whole thing when I was in the Philippines where I would have to translate from Tagalog to English and then answer it and then and then again translate it back. Mm-hmm. I also studied Spanish, right? Oh, so you you had all these languages They're jumbled all in, up in your head. They yeah. were all in my head and I didn't think anything of it. I mean, the first few months it was very exhausting at the end of the day because there was a lot of silent translating going on. Mm-hmm. And then I got here and uh, with the locals, like I would get lost or whatever, and you know, finding my way around Miami and Miami traffic, mm-hmm. I would start speaking Tagalog, <laughs> and not thinking right because thinking, oh, Spanish, but Tagalog would come out. Right. And then the people I met would answer me in Spanish as if they understood me. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. And I feel like, yeah, like I feel like I always like to say it, and always took me a moment because then there's a whole bunch of translating going on in the head. 
Mm-hmm. Right, with uh, three languages then, and um, and I would say I would say ano 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 like anoyan, which is like what is that? Which uh-huh. doesn't that sound like como? Right, como? right. It's so much in the intonation, <laughs> right? Right, 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 right. I think, and also you can see I'm speaking with my hands. <laughs> oh yeah, you got to gesticulate, right? right? Yeah, it doesn't come across on radio, but trust us, folks, it it, it, it helps the process. <laughs> yeah. So I got here, and um, it felt really familiar to me. Mm. Uh, stepping off the plane felt very much like stepping off the plane in uh, MIA, but Manila International Airport. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, like immediately your skin is covered in this, in in humidity. But I guess if it's if it, it sounds terrible, folks, I know, but it's actually comforting. comforting. Yeah, if it feels like home, if it's home, right. it makes you feel at home. Felt it felt good, and um, I really felt a connection to to the 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 tropics the subtropics but also the culture and the people and how warm people were with me you know right something that i found uh so interesting with your background is that you know you you headed the creative writing program at um for 10 years yep 10 years and uh, i know our our producer elisa uh was talking to you about it she's a um grad creative writing she was my advisee (laughs) (laughs) and isn't she doing great now i'm so proud of her (laughs) (laughs) and one of the things we talked about was how you encouraged and promoted multilingual writing absolutely in the program and in people's writing yes why was that important for you to do i think uh first of all um, my experience as a writer and writing about my own community and 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 my people Mm -hmm. right comes with tagalog it comes with taglish it comes with how the elders speak to us how 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 parents talk to one another when they think the child is not listening you know it comes with all of that and it felt like a very natural thing for me in my own writing so my experience having um, gone through uh, academia here in the United States mm-hmm. is that oftentimes when our stories when my stories came onto workshop to be workshopped uh, there was a lot of time spent having to define words. There was a lot of time having to uh, qualify mm. why this word, why chismes, not gossip, hmm. right? Uh, there was any, even, any of our Spanish speakers will immediately pick that up. Chismes being like like our the, yes. the Spanish chisme. Yeah, right. Gossip, see, right. see connections, right. right? Yeah. So like there were those kinds of questions, and even there was one time a very well-meaning professor said in my one of my workshops. I don't understand why she has uh, a physical appearance of someone who is Asian, but she has a Spanish name. Oh, boy. Right? So there's there's a whole lot of that going on. It's just a missing piece of education. It's a missing piece of, of, of openness to what, uh, no understanding what the rest of the parts of the rest of the world look like. Right. Yeah. And also, but also, it, it, it's like this, um, there, it's, it, kind of pays homage to this idea that there's one way of telling a story mm. and there is one kind of storyteller and there is only one language to tell that story in. So for me and many of my colleagues at the University of Miami, we write in English, but we are either first or second generation immigrant kids and we come from and tell stories of our community and those communities use more than one language. Mm. And those should be honored, right? Because so much language encapsulates culture, right? In a way, in a way that that um, things can otherwise be lost in translation. You know, uh, the the show Code Switch on NPR. Yeah, I love that they, show. They, they they have they call it the explanatory comma, which we talk about here. Mm. You know, a lot of times you you know you take a little break and you say you know 
uh, Tagalog, which is the native language, the indigenous yeah, and language you of drop whatever. the whole storyline. <laughs> yes, exactly. Forget where you're going, then now you're off somewhere else. Right. So, talk to me about how you encourage it, because that that came around during the time, and we were talking about this earlier about what other. Because Miami has kind of been a, a, a place that's really encouraged that for a long time. Yeah. I'm thinking of like Kirikrak, which mm. was uh, Edwidge Dandikat's yes, great Edwidge, book. Yeah. And like she put it right there in the title, you know, a thing that's that's like kind of a, a Haitian cultural um, right. form to kind of say, are we ready for story time? Yes, we are. Um, and there's my explanatory comma. <laughs> uh, and Juno Diaz, who wrote in Drown. My dear friends, yeah. Yeah, so got folks who really embraced multilingual writing. What was the point where where you felt like I'm going to start doing this and I'm going to not include the explanation in my writing anymore. Well, I think that I myself never did, which is why it was a problem for uh, teachers and peers in those mm. workshops, right? Mm -hmm. And I even had a friend of mine who was um, a poet, a uh, uh, Chicano poet, who would get so pissed off when he was asked for a glossary of terms, right? Oh, so boy. this, for me, um, as... Um, always a budding activist and a person who will stand up for her own people, mm -hmm. right, in my small and big ways. Um, I think that I, 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 I really didn't um, create those little appositives that would explain things, right? Um, I, I think that writing in context has always been something that I personally have been developing and is something that I'm encouraging my students to do. And, and I think we all write, like uh, my nieces and nephews used to call it, um, uh, read it, like use context clues. Context clues is the, is the phrase that our, my right? kids grew up saying. Yeah. Context mm -hmm. clues, right? And so this is very much what we do. You can write what feels to be very familiar language in, in, in dialogue, in a story, and based on what someone does, right, mm -hmm. in response to what is said, uh, based on maybe they'll answer in English, maybe there'll be silence, and you'll see like a sort a certain mood kind of creep into the onto the page. Mm -hmm. These things tell us what these words mean. And also, we don't always have to know what every single word means. Right. That was author M. Evelina Galang speaking with Sundown host Carlos Frias in August. Her latest book is a short story collection, When the Hibiscus Falls. Still to come, she tells us about her travels to the Philippines and her family's strong culture of storytelling. If you like interviews like this, remember, your contributions to public radio help us make your favorite shows. Like Sundial, here's how you can help. See our show notes for more information on how you can donate. Welcome back to Sundial on WLRN during our winter membership drive. I'm Elisa Baena, a producer on the show. Let's get back to our conversation with author M. Evelina Galang. Her latest book is a short story collection, When the Hibiscus Falls. Sundial host Carlos Frias spoke with her back in August. She told us about her life growing up. I was born in Pennsylvania. My dad uh, was a physician who moved around a lot. So we moved to like seven different places before we settled in Wisconsin. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I was always the new kid in school. Oh, wow. That's yeah. That's got to be tough. It was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Did people get your story? Like you were talking earlier about someone like, why is she speaking Spanish mm -hmm. if she has some Asian features or whatever? Right. Did you, how often were you answering that question? Well, you know, it's it's really interesting because when you're a kid, you don't realize um, what's actually happening, hmm. right? You don't know that people are treating you differently. Hmm. I'll never forget my my younger brother 
my younger brothers uh, would come home and oftentimes they'd actually get into fist fights, hmm. things like that, right? And then yeah. and then parents would come around and say, oh, your kid was using his kung fu on my kid. And, you know, and it's oh, like, boy. what? He doesn't know kung fu. What's that got to do with anything, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. So there, I mean, I think it was, and for me it was more, um, there was the silence. I, I think the silences are things that I noticed. And then later on when I got to, kind of wake myself up through education, through meeting other Filipino-American women like myself, mm -hmm. started to look back at that time. I could see I could see how those moments were really moments of isolation and um, were connected to um, otherness, connected uh -huh. to, you know, not being like the rest. Right. Yeah. How, in those places, how did you try to connect to your Filipino culture, did did it have a place in your life? Growing up? Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So my parents, very much community leaders, um, wherever we went, even though we moved so many times, they were always somehow on the forefront of bringing everyone to the house. Oh, like in what ways? Like head of the PTA or like what? Oh, no, <laughs> like no, or even even so... There's a story that I've been telling because it really has stayed with me where when we were in Saskatchewan, Canada for a bit, I was so little that I didn't actually witness this story, but I, I was around it when it was happening. There were many uh, nurses coming from the Philippines hmm. who were trying to get housing in uh, Regina. And they were being rejected. Like there would be an opening, they'd go take a look at it, and immediately it was unavailable. Mm. So um, going through my, my parents' papers, I found this um, article from the newspaper where he was interviewed, my dad was interviewed, where they had gotten everyone together um, from the medical community, or the Filipino American community, or Filipino community. Mm -hmm. They put on these cultural programs and they spoke to people in the newspapers about like who we were as a people and our culture and it was a way of talking about you know you can you can provide housing for for those of us from our community because this is who we are I think his thinking was you know this is because you don't know who we are mm. this turning our, our nurses away is because you don't realize there's nothing to fear here right so that kind of attitude where um, my parents would get up and create these these activities uh, for making the people around us aware of who the Filipinos are um, was a way that I grew up and it was a way that they inculcated that culture within us and weirdly enough I always just thought it was because they just happened to be social people I started to do a little bit more research as I was writing this book and mm -hmm. other things I was doing and I found this word called kapwa it's Tagalog kapwa and it means uh, it's about the Filipino um, self. It's about seeing one oneself and the other, mm. and it's about community. It's about how we take care of one another. It's about how we come together to solve difficulties and problems and struggles. So this thing that I was witnessing, that I've become a part of, that I enact when I invite everyone to my house mm -hmm. and I do my own kinds of activism, is kapwa very much a part of the Filipino community. Right. That Well, that, that, I, I mean, I feel like there's an analogy with the, you know, it takes a village idea, right? Right. Yeah. Right. You, so we love show and tell here, and you you have a picture uh, in your yes. copy, in the copy of your I book of short stories that you want to. I do. I do. I have. So, so much of the book is about ancestry and le legacy mm -hmm. and family. So I have, like, during my book tour this summer, I brought these two black and white photographs with me everywhere I went. My ancestors. Wow. So it's my mom side of the family and it's my dad's side of the and family. And there's like a dozen people in each, in oh, each yeah, picture of it. Like, big old nice. families. Big, big, big Catholic families. And and how does it how does it help you in 
telling your story, right, and delving into your story, to be able to something as simple as looking at a picture and and oh, being yeah. physically connected, right? Yeah, especially when you've been raised in the United States, where these families, like these, my family is here, the Galangs and the Lopestans, are in the Philippines. They were in the Philippines, and my whole life. There's like this imagination I have, or this longing to be part of that community, or by the, part of that family, mm. you know, to be at the gatherings because we were in Wisconsin, or we were, you know, and isolated from our our extended family. We had a family that we created, other Filipino families, mm-hmm. uh, our titos, our titas, or tios or tias, depending on you know, right, <laughs> right. But you know those 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 family ties were something that I could only long for. So when I take a look at this, these photos, um, it makes me connected to them. It makes me realize I am a part of this legacy. Mm. But it also makes me realize I also, like uh, in the other direction, have a million nephews and nieces who are the children of my brothers and sisters. And they, they too are looking for those connections. They too are longing for those. And when you get to be second and third generation, what we know, what they know, becomes a little muted, right? Yeah. It begins to disintegrate in some ways. Yeah. The language isn't as clear to them. So, um, the language, the cultural references, the, yeah. yeah, a lot of those things begin to lose their context, right? Right, right. You know, you, you mentioned this about growing up in these communities kind of away from the quote unquote motherland, let's say, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like the heart of the, the culture. You grew up culturally, you almost culturally Filipino. Like I grew up culturally Cuban American, but not Cuban, obviously. Yeah. Born here. Tell me about what it was like to actually. When did you get to visit the Philippines, and right. how did and how did that how did that open up new things in your writing? Right. So when I was like two and three, they had brought me back for a short period of time, right? And n- not much to remember. No, yeah. a lot of photographs. But then I started to do research on the Filipina comfort women of World War II um, in the late 90s. And I went back, I was 33 when I went back. I brought some students with me, some young women who are also of Filipino descent with me. And one day we went to the, my family gathering on a Sunday because that's what our family did. We gather everybody together and eat. And I tasted this thing called santol, this, this fruit called santol. I had never tasted it here in the United States, but one bite I remembered. From being a little girl, two, three years old with yeah. you when you were visiting. Yeah, and I said, that this is where that taste went. Wow. Paint me a picture of what that scene was like when you were visiting family again. Oh, wow. Everybody would show up, everybody. A lot of cousins, a lot of cousins' children and their children. And there, when your uh, cousin's kids have their kids, mm-hmm. you're not called tita or tia or whatever. You're called Lola. You're called grandma. Grandma. <laughs> I was like, what? I'm your grandma. I was like, you can't call me grandma. So they would call me Lolita. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Little grandma. Yeah, little yeah. grandma. But everybody would come. And it would be really, really hot, 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 hot. And um, I learned to use a fan, a manual fan, uh-huh. you know, like, like that. Uh, and uh, it would be stories, and they would bring they would bring photographs like these yeah. to share with me and talk about when I was a little girl there, or when my parents were uh, there as um, young people. So it was very much, um, and it felt familiar, even though it was really so. That was before I came to Florida, right? 
So those those feelings of like the humidity and the heat and the and the and the, the uh, sounds of the city, right? And the traffic, all of that was new and yet it felt so familiar. That was author M. Evelina Galang speaking with host Carlos Frias back in August. Still to come, she reads us an excerpt from her latest short story collection, When the Hibiscus Falls. If you like interviews like this, remember, your contributions to public radio help us make your favorite shows. Like Sundial, here's how you can help. See our show notes for more information on how you can donate. Welcome back to Sundial on WLRN during our winter membership drive. I'm Elisa Baena, a producer on the show. Let's get back to our conversation with author M. Evelina Galang. Sundial host Carlos Frias spoke with her back in August. She read us an excerpt from her latest short story collection, When the Hibiscus Falls. This is from the story titled, The Typhoon is a Hurricane. Salit walked up and down their street, stepping around debris, slipping under eaves of broken branches. She saw no sign of the crews, not working on her neighbor's houses, not on the apartment buildings a block over, not fixing street lamps on the boulevard around the bend, seven days without electricity. The heat was manila heat. Piles of garbage, broken furniture, and storm debris were stacked along the sides of the road. Unbearable sunshine made everything stink. Back home, near Dagatagatan, there was a trash heap called Smoky Mountain. Salit used to ride past on her way to nursing school and see the whips, wisps of smoke trailing from different parts of the hill. Now, palm fronds and trunks of fallen mango trees were pulled into the side of the road. Banyan trees, tipped to their sides, exposed gnarly roots, 15 feet in diameter, their branches reaching up like arms in motion. The old trees were dying. The lushness of Miami had grown brown and crisp as autumn. Talk to me about some of the things that when you st- when you came to Miami, when you start to see those connections, what were some of the things that immediately made it feel like culture, like the culture that you were familiar with? Well, the people, yeah. really, the people. The um, uh, I eventually moved into this house that had abuelas to my left and abuelas to my right. There were <laughs> sisters on one side, and those 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 lolas or abuelas uh, were really connected in every way. Every emotion from high to low to the fighting to everything connected to the uh, abuela to my other side who was living by herself, and they'd go back and forth, and sometimes they'd have the conversation there in front of the house, my house. They knew everything that was going on with me, even though I never said anything. <laughs> uh, you know, all of that made me feel so, like, so at home and charmed. They very much charmed me into um, being a part of their neighborhood. Yeah. Um, they called me China, in fact. <laughs> that, it's, it's a very Latin thing. To, like, did you find that, too? That And you wrote that in one of your stories, too. Mm-hmm. One of your characters is at yeah. a grocery store, and an abuelita says... Yeah, Sorry, China, China yeah, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. They they called me China, and this is interesting. If probably I was in Iowa and someone called me China, I'd probably be angry. 
<laughs> but here you didn't have that reaction. But yeah, I did not have that reaction. I felt, in fact, I felt there was some kind of um, affinity that was happening between me and you know. Usually it was it was my neighbors, you know, China. Um, there was that. There's also, like I said, I had just come back from being a year in Manila, and I lived so far away from the university. I lived in one of the suburbs of Miami. Mm-hmm. I, l- I used to call it Kendalia. Kendalia, yeah. We call it Kendali sometimes, too. <laughs> so far away. And so I was experiencing that crazy traffic, which I enjoyed. I'd play the Latin music on the radio and really made myself at home. But it, that also reminded me of those moments in Manila. So I kind of felt like I had this transition from living in the Midwest, doing this Fulbright, and being in the Philippines for a year, and then coming back here. And it was an extension of that and a tri- transition back into um, the United States, but a different, very different kind of United States than that I was used to. Right. I'm, I'm so curious how, you know, we don't end up just writing about the past. Like the things that we live through now begin to affect what we're interested in and yes. what we want to write about. And, mm-hmm. I'm, and I'm curious how those pieces have come together, being in Miami for 20 years and growing up in the Midwest and having a connection to Manila. What are, what things do you find yourself interested in? Like what did that spark in you? Wow. Well, I spent 20 years um, uh, researching, and I came here and I was in the midst of my research, researching and working on uh, the stories of surviving comfort women of World War II. Mm. Um, the Lolas. And so in between all of that, I was living my life here in Miami. And there were things, in fact, there are things that uh, my students influenced me. (laughs) Oh, in what way? They, well, so they seem to be very interested in the last year or so. And those of you who are listening, who are my students, who were in 390 or 404 in the recent two years, you know who you are. (laughs) Um, They're really into speculative fiction into world building, into imagining things that are um, not quite like real, mm-hmm. uh, which I always had. I was always like, "Oh, we're writing real, realistic fiction," and um, that's not really what they were into in in many ways. And so, they actually got me um, thinking about what life is like when it's not real, right? And so, in the in the collection, there is a story. There are a couple times when I I, I leave. Um, present action, present day, mm-hmm. and the story either um, looks into the future, as as um, as I think the title story does uh, when the hibiscus falls, but also imagines what Miami might look like in the future. And in these ways, not you don't just influence your students with your with your knowledge and your teaching and your the technique and what have you, but then they begin to influence your writing. And what's so interesting is to see the. I mean, like I'm influenced daily by the the young women that I work with you know are in their 20s and yeah. I'm like twice their age and it's like I love knowing how I'm how I'm influenced by them and it and you have a story that was influenced you can read a bit of a story yeah, that was I, I influenced will, by yeah. the way they're worldly right yeah they're they're um they in many ways like my job I feel is to is to um, give them permission to write their stories, hmm. but also to teach them the tools, to give them the tools. <clears throat> and in some ways, what, working with them and, and hearing them and listening to them, they, um, they open up my imagination hmm. and, and they want me to try different things in my own work. So this, uh, I'm just gonna read the opening of this story called The Kiss, which takes place in Miami many years from now and you will see why. I don't know if you got a chance to read it, Carlos, but I'm gonna share just a little bit of it. Wonderful. And um, and this actually is, is for those students who encouraged me. 
the kiss. Prudence Mercado watched the dark clouds approaching. From her penthouse garden high above the Atlantic Ocean, she could smell the rain. Directly overhead, the sky was cloudless, blue, but she could see the storm drifting east, the rain falling in dark sheets across the horizon. Should we go inside, asked her nurse. Not yet, she answered. Prudence pulled her sweater tight around her torso. The breeze made her feet kissed by the sea. Make her, made her feel kissed by the sea. Benita will be here soon. We can go in from then. Prudence placed two hands on her walker. The nurse moved toward her, but Prue waved her away. Akona, let me help. I said I can do it. She waved the nurse away. She shifted her weight and pulled herself up. She released a deep breath. Let me, not, let me walk now. Prudence surveyed the roof garden as she wound her way around eureka palms, gardenia bushes, and, and banana plants, her garden in the sky. Around the bend were gumamella, red and orange and hot pink blossoms splayed open like the skirts of whirling dervishes. She reached down to pluck a flower, examined the petals, and, turning to the penthouse railing, tossed the offering to the sea. All around the high-rise, the ocean hissed. The city, built on steel beams and concrete stilts, reminded Prudence of the archival photos she had seen of Nipah huts perched on bamboo stilts and hovering over monsoon-swollen rice paddies. Her Lola Lolo's barangay rode boats down a river of streets, passing tables, chairs, and dressers set adrift from month-long storms. That must have been something, that time long ago, when people were cast and organized by the color of skin, by the faith they practiced, by the money gathered, held onto, and spent, when men and women were unequal, when people raised a fist to the sky to proclaim their heritage. Those times. That was the time before the story revolution. That was author M. Evelina Galong speaking with host Carlos Frias back in August. Her latest book is a short story collection, When the Hibiscus Falls. She's also a professor of English at the University of Miami and directed their creative writing program for 10 years. And that's Sundial for Thursday, December 7th. Leslie Ovalle Atkinson is our lead producer. Sergio Bustos is WLRN's vice president of news. Katie Munoz is our director of live programming. And Peter J. Meritz is WLRN's vice president of radio and Sundial's engineer. Engineering our board is Richard Ives. Our theme music is by the Miami Afro-Cuban funk band Palo at gopalo.com. You can download a podcast of this program. Just search WLRN Sundial on your podcast app. Coming up next week on the program, we're back with all live episodes of Sundial. It's a roundtable of local food editors, and I promise you, you're going to be hungry. I'm Elisa Baena. Keep those good vibes. <laughs>